0: Father, we truly do thank you because so many of us have experienced moments and seasons of filling Is so powerful, God. Just thank you for being you, for God. You are love. You've always held true to your promise to never leave nor forsake us. the gathering of your saints this morning. We pray, God, that you are glorified in this place. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Now, God, during this, this time of our hearts Lord to hear and to be receptive of what it is that you and you alone have to say to us so God I pray that you would hide me behind Calvary's cross that the people would hear less and less of me Now, Lord, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in Your sight. For Lord, You are our strength and our Redeemer. Now, let of your heart say, "Amen." Amen. Amen. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Good, man. Good to see your faces today. And uh, one more time, give yourselves a hand, I was so proud, um, you know, they hand awards to us, but it only, you know, allowed me to reflect on just how appreciative I am of our church family as we are trying to live into what we believe God called us to, so one more time, and I'm so so grateful for you, grateful for you and what you do, um, and, you know, how you guys have just stuck it through, and then. Of course, uh, man. I was showing, I was showing everybody and a mama the pictures of twelve, twelve, uh, this past week, uh, as we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, and so they'd say, "How you doing?" I just flash a picture. I didn't even say that. Just, yeah. Clearly, God's doing some stuff, and so really excited about that. And so, um, so yeah, God's moving, and um, and we're just trying to be faithful to Him as He does so. Uh, but let us go ahead and dive into the. God's words today, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to the gospel according to Luke uh, chapter 7, and uh, we'll be reading verses 20 through 23, and uh, today's topic, we'll be talking about um, making room for doubt, sounds a little odd, right, making room for doubt, and, uh, and I remember a couple of years ago uh, how the world was shook up when um, Justin Welby, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, which is the Anglican Church uh, located in in um, in England, and when he admitted uh, in 2014 that he sometimes doubts the existence of God. Now you got to understand like how massive this is, how how amazing this announcement was, because the Archbishop of Canterbury, the bishop or the leader of the Anglican Church, is basically the follower. I'm sorry, the leader of. 80 million Christians worldwide... And so he confesses openly to sometimes doubting the existence of God, and man, it was an uproar. Um, I remember there was, um, there was the International Business Times paper and article, and they labeled their headline after this announcement. They said, it is the, the doubt of all times is how massive it was. Or there was an atheist journalist who, in his Twitter account, simply in all caps uh, with multiple exclamation marks, he typed VICTORY. There were people from all walks, and uh, so it was, I mean, it was a major ordeal as everybody thought that it was a big deal about the Archbishop of Canterbury admitting that he sometimes has doubts about the existence of God. But I want to pose the question to you. What if I were to tell you that doubt is not a bad thing? What if I were to tell you that doubt and unbelief are not synonymous. They are not the same thing that you as a believer could happily and perfectly in your faith live for the remainder of your days questioning things about your faith and it wouldn't remove your belief in God. It it, it wouldn't separate you from him. Or what if I would tell you that doubt is simply a function of belief that all believers at some point in time They experience doubt. In fact, an article I read said it like this, doubt acknowledges our own limitations and confirms or challenges fundamental beliefs and is not a detractor of belief but a crucial part of it, which tells us that doubt, in fact, is healthy. It's healthy for us. So many believers, if you were like me, you were raised up in a church or in a culture where they told you that you should never question God or have any questions you should just believe. I disagree with that. I I, I think that we're supposed to question and believe, and I believe that in this day and time, the last thing that the church needs, that God needs, are blind and mindless followers who never question why they believe what they believe. I love the words in Howard Thurman, his autobiography. He simply says to this, that we ought to love God with our head and our heart. They both ought to connect. You should know what you believe and spend some time growing and do so. In fact, you'll never ever grow spiritually if you never spend some times and seasons in doubt searching and trying to learn more about him. Doubt, doubt in fact is healthy. So let's uh Let's bring it home because there's no way that we could be in this room and there's not people in this room who don't wrestle with this. So let's do something participatory. I know you guys, you know, some of you like to stay to yourselves and it's okay. I'm just going to ask you to testify uh, for some of your brothers and sisters who are in here today. So everybody's got to participate. Y'all with me? I'm not going to put you on the spot. I just want you to raise your hand. That's all. Some of y'all got nervous. I thought I was going to have y'all talk. That's not the case. I got a few questions. I want to know if this applies to you. So if it does, raise your hand in the air. The first question is this. How many of you in here have ever questioned the existence of God? Hands in the air. Hands in the air. All right. All right. Second question. Put them down. How many of you ever have wondered where God was when you watched or witnessed suffering and injustice? Cool, cool. Last question. How many of you ever read scripture and wondered where that God was? <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 it's like I believe in everything, but um, God, you spoke from heaven, you parted the Red Sea, like you're here, but I mean, are you on vacation, you know, what's going on in your life, and so these are questions that are consistent within humanity, so if you are here and you've been wrestling with doubt and you thought that you were the only one, please take note that everybody in the room raised their hand, because we all experience and wrestle with doubt, And what I've learned about life is that there's essentially three kinds of doubt. The first one is this. It's an intellectual doubt, which is kind of what we just talked about there, where you basically ask these questions. Is the Bible the word of God? Was Jesus really the son of God? Or did Jesus really get up from the grave? You think about that intellectually, right? You're just trying to figure it out. Does this make sense? And it's okay. The second form is this, spiritual doubt. Some of us wonder, am I really saved? Right? Or does God hear my prayers? Have you ever been in a place where you pray and you feel like, man, it just hits the ceiling and just drops back down? Anybody? Like, you I know, mean, he's not hearing me at all. And then also, why do I always feel guilt and shame? Yeah, that's, that's spiritual doubt. Or how bit those, there's circumstantial doubt. And circumstantial doubt, these are kind of the whys of life, right? This is what you do uh, why, why did my, my child die? Why, why is my family member sick? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? God, where are you when all of these whys are taking place in life? And for the time that I've been in church and serving the church, many, if not most of us, probably live in category number three, circumstantial life. Out, because circumstances can get tough for us and they can get difficult in life and we question so many things because life is unpredictable and oftentimes unfair, right? And so what we do is we get to this place where we begin to build our theology based upon the circumstances of our existence. Why are these things happening? And if there is a God, why is he not doing something about these things? And so circumstantial doubt leads to this idea that we learned in theology that's called theodicy. Say theodicy. Theodicy. Theodicy Theodicy is basically this. It is divine justice, which is the attempt to defend God's omnipotence and goodness in the face of suffering and pain in our world or evil in the world. So this, is, this was the issue of Timothy in Scripture when you read Paul trying to encourage Timothy when he would encourage him to stay strong in his faith because of Timothy's theodicy because he had a rough existence. His existence was so rough, Paul says, listen, I know that you have wrestled with wild beasts in Ephesus. Paul says, it's, it's rough where you are, and it was Timothy's theodicy which comes as a result of circumstantial doubt in our lives. We question God, where are you in the midst of this evil God? Why? And believe it or not, not only in this room, but when you read scripturally, we're all in good company. We're we're all in good company. I always try to deconstruct this myth in our heads. When we read scripture, we often think that these superhumans exist and that they were without flaws, that they were perfect people. But even those that we admire, with the exception of Jesus himself, was full of flaws. And what if I were to tell you, matter of fact, I'm just going to show you that one of the elite saints in Scripture wrestled with doubt. Let me give you basically his, his bio, and let's see if you can figure out like how, 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 who this guy is. Um, his mother was barren. And in an old age became pregnant with him. Uh, His father was a priest. Uh, The angel Gabriel himself came to his parents to tell of his existence, just as he did with Jesus. Uh, As a man, the word of God came to him, and he himself began drawing masses of people into the wilderness to hear the word of God. Uh, It's so amazing, or he was so amazing in his gift so amazing in his gift that the people who were there began to question if he himself was the Messiah. And I love it. I love it because he was so faithful and committed to his ministry. He refuted those myths and basically said this. He says, I am not even worthy to tie the sandals of the man who is the Messiah. So he wouldn't allow it to come. This, this man himself actually baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. Check this out. Not only did he baptize Jesus, but when he baptized Jesus, God himself spoke from heaven, God spoke audibly from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Now when you read his bio, when you listen to his story, this guy's name is what? John, John John the Baptist or the baptizer as we know him. When you read John the Baptist's bio, would you ever believe that this man would suffer from doubt? I'm trying to tell you, if you're like me, this is what I think. If I hear God speak from heaven, you can't tell me nothing. Like, I I will be the most arrogant Christian on the planet. Uh, How you doing? Don't talk to me. God spoke to me. Don't. Don't. (laughs) Don't. Don't even. Don't even. You know. God spoke audibly from him, man, and it is amazing that he would find himself here. But then let's read our scripture for the day. And listen, what's happening to John? John, uh, Luke chapter seven, verse twenty. When the men came to Jesus, this is John's disciples, by the way. When the men came to Jesus, they said, "John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else?" All right, John's asking, "Is it you?" Remember, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. John says, are you the one, or should I be waiting on someone else? Verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Verse 22, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And I love verse 23. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. How did John get here? With Not only the story of God speaking, but just the testimony of his own birth. John finds himself in a place where he is questioning as to whether or not Jesus is whom he believed that he was. How did he get there? Well, it's that word that we just talked about a moment ago, his theodicy. What's happened is basically this. At this point, the reason why John's disciples came to Jesus and not John himself is because John is currently in prison. And he's in prison simply by, or because he was following the mission, being faithful to the call that God gave him. Basically, uh, King Herod had uh, been in an adulterous relationship with his own sister-in-law with his own sister-in-law, and so John spoke against the relationship and said, you got a whole lot of nerve uh, messing around on your brother with his wife. And King Herod didn't like him, so King Herod had John imprisoned. John's imprisoned, prison, and because of the evil that he's experiencing in his life, after everything that he's gone through, now because evil has hit him, John is asking the question, Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Because if you are whom you say you are, the person whom we thought you are, there's no way I should be experiencing this right here. This is the place where so many believers find themselves. Jesus, if you are, then I would not have lost that person. If you are, then I wouldn't experience this pain, God. If you are who I believe that you are, then why is this happening to me? Why does this have to happen in my life? It's our theodicy that makes that up. But I love, I love, I love how, how Jesus replies to John's messages. He says, uh, go back and report to John this. He didn't even address the direct question. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I'm here. Jesus says, look at what's taking place. Answer for yourself. The blind receive sight. The lame are walking. Those who have leprosy are being cured. The the deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the good news is being preached to the poor. But also note this, that Jesus did not condemn John's doubt and unbelief. He didn't say, fool, Um, don't you see what I'm doing? How dare you? ask me what's going on. No, Jesus didn't condemn him. He basically said, listen, look at the fruit of what's taking place all around me. Everything that was said around me or about me is happening around me. And so what Jesus basically says in his statement is that hurting people in this world are being changed and transformed. And it's really reminiscent, I think, speaking to John, who would know of Jesus' inaugural sermon, right? When he told them that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he he gave me power to preach the gospel to the poor, to set the captives at free, to to, to, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what Jesus said that he was going to do. But what happened is this, is that John has, like so many of us, fallen victim to this idea that once we receive or we meet Jesus, that we're just going to glide to glory that everything is going to be okay, and that was never promised. Here's a promise in Scripture that we never hold on to. We hold on to so many. We love the ones that make us feel good, but there's a promise that we ignore. Jesus says this promise to each and every believer. He says, hey, in this world, you are going to have trouble. That's a promise. Jesus himself, John 16 and 33, look it up. He says, in this world, you will have trouble." That is a promise from Jesus himself. Now, check this out. When you unpack trouble, this is literally what it means. It says it is an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, and even financial adversity. I wonder does that apply to anybody in here. In this world, you are going to experience physical, mental, Emotional and even financial adversity, Jesus says to his followers, to you and I, brothers and sisters, that is a promise. That is a promise. Jesus letting us know that the world is not an easy place to live. That oftentimes we'll find ourselves in places where we question the existence of God, even sometimes question the purpose of our own lives. Jesus says there's going to come times when you have this experience, but I love it because he didn't leave us there. He says you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to experience this, but listen, have, listen to what he tells you, have courage. Have courage. Stand in the midst of it. It's coming. Jesus says, but I need you to have courage because I. Jesus, I have overcome them things. The things that you are experiencing, Jesus says, the key to you experiencing the pain, the trouble in the world, the key to that is by looking at me because the things that are overwhelming you, overcoming you, I have victory over. God says, look at me because the key to working through it is by watching me. This is important when it comes to doubt because one of the things that we should do when wrestling with our doubts is first and foremost, look to Jesus. Yes. One of the things that we oftentimes do when we experience doubt is we look to things that are in themselves too weak to overcome doubt. Namely, we look at humanity. Right. When you experience doubt, you look at other people and based upon their response to you or their own lifestyles, you begin to say, say to yourself, well, maybe, maybe I'm right. Because when I look at you or when I have these conversations or when I look at the world, my doubts have, they they, they have a little grounding. But one of the first things that we should do according to Jesus is we ought to look to him because he is the answer. And then furthermore, whatever you feed grows. And so if you feed your doubts. By social media claims and by foolish conversations, if you feed your doubts, then your doubts will grow. But if you feed your faith, if you feed the things that encourage you about the Lord, then those things grow. That's the beginning of strengthening our faith is feeding it. And that comes by remaining and staying close to Jesus himself. But I love Jesus because he knows exactly where we are. He knows our thoughts, and he knows the things that are going to trip us up. And so he says in verse 23, he said, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Why would Jesus make that statement? Blessed is the man who does not fall away uh, on account of me. Well, there, there there are two stories at play here. There are the expectations of humanity... Versus the activities of the expected one. There are our own expectations of God. And there are the things that he actively does. And oftentimes what we do is we find ourselves in a place trying to reconcile what we expect God to do and what he actually does. And what God, when you, what God does does not mix well or when it does not reconcile with our expectations, then doubt grows because, God, you are supposed to do and be this. And because it does not reconcile, then we figure that maybe, God, you are not who you say you are. And so we find ourselves in a position just like John the Baptist where we got to start asking the question, well, Jesus, is it really you Or do I need to wait for someone else? God, is it really you or perhaps I need to pick up the phone call and call someone who can give to me what I need and what I need at this moment because possibly there's someone else who can show up for me. God, listen, should I wait on you because my expectations are not meeting with your activity or should I call someone who's a little bit more dependable? Maybe I need to call a friend or family member, the bank. Maybe I need to make or place my faith in something that's a little bit more trustworthy because you are not... I godly. We've all been there, haven't we? When God does not move quickly enough, perhaps I need to take things in my own hands. Perhaps I need to do things the way that I need to do things because clearly, God, if you were concerned, you would be here. Or, or maybe your silence on this subject is a message or a sign to me to take it into my own hands. Maybe that's what you're saying. (coughs) Excuse me. Maybe maybe that's what you're saying to me, Jesus. Maybe I'm supposed to do it. Now, some of us who have got some years on us. How many of us in here have come to that and made the worst kind of mistakes? (laughs) Yeah, right? So here's what I want to say to you is this. Don't let your expectations of the Messiah miss you to lead or miss God's Messiah. Don't let your expectations of the Messiah, of Christ, lead you to miss God's Savior for you. And it's in scripture. We're not the only ones. I know we think because these people met God, met Jesus, that they walked with him, that this is just us. Because what we tell ourselves is if I were in biblical times, I wouldn't have these issues. But I'm trying to tell you, people who spoke to God and followed God, they have these very experiences in Scripture. Let me give you a quick list of people, not only John that we're talking about today, but how about this? Peter was offended because Jesus told him of the soon coming of of his sorrow and shame. You remember that in that conversation? Uh, Not only that, Nicodemus was offended because of Jesus' new teaching of the new birth. He was offended by that. He fell away on account of it or the religious leaders because Jesus came and condemned their religious behavior. He didn't like it, and so they struggled with it or there were people in the Bible who were simply offended because they had an expectation of this Messiah that they had been waiting for for so many generations who would come and who would free them from the oppression that they were suffering, and because he did not, so many people missed him. Don't let the expectations that you put on him lead you to miss what he wants to be for you in your life. And if I had time, I'd go and I'd talk about poor theology how there are some things about God that we were taught about God that don't apply to God and because we think that God is not the great I am. He is the great what I need him to be. It causes us to miss it. If I had time, I'd tell you how bad doctrine and bad theology leads us to miss what God wants to do. I don't have time for it. I just have to stick that in there parenthetically. What I'll tell you is this, is that God wants to be for you exactly what he knows that you need him to be, but you have to submit yourself to what God wants to be rather than you trying to tell God what he needs to be for you. I love it. I love it, man. We were up in, um, up in Grand Rapids this week, and uh, Kevin Butcher, you guys know him. He's been there a couple of times. He's spoken for us. Uh, he talked about this, and it hit me hard. We need to pray for Kevin. By the way, his wife, Carla, is um, just, just, she's currently suffering from cancer. And, um, and, and, and it's kind of hard on their family right now. So Kevin says to us in our, in our gathering, he says, if God doesn't deliver you, He doesn't need to. What you need to do is figure out his purpose in the moment. If God doesn't deliver you, then he doesn't need to. What you then need to do is figure out what is his purpose in the moment. That can mess with your theology, right? Because we just talked about this, that he is the deliverer. And so, God, if you are the deliverer, what do you mean that I ought to be okay with the reality that you may not deliver me out of this moment? But Kevin says, listen, if he does not, that there's something that God wants to do. And rather than you wasting your energy trying to figure out how come God did not or why God isn't, how about you figure out what is God trying to say to you in this moment? Don't let your expectations of him lead you to miss him. So I, I got a few things that I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to move on. Um, and, and, and I know that, you know, there's, let me tell you this, uh, by the time I finish in a few minutes, I'm not saying that I'm going I'm to help you leave here with no doubts. It's not going to happen. It's not ever going to happen. In fact, let, let, me, let me throw this in before we move on. Um, if you get to a place where all of your, ans- your questions are answered and all of your doubt is gone, Be easy. Because you have now died and you're about to see him for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Let me give you just a few things, man, that I think will help uh, us in dealing with our doubts. So the first thing is this. How about this? I, I love it because y'all talking. So l- let's talk together. I- I'm going to say it and I want you to say it back to me. Cool? Let's do a little call to response. The first thing that we need to do with this, admit your doubts. Say, Admit your doubts. Admit your doubts. This is essentially what John the Baptist did. What John did is this, because he found himself in a bad place where he was wondering where God was in his moment, he admitted to Jesus, this is what I'm doing. Is it you? Or should I be waiting for someone else? And what I want you to know is that God is not fragile. Yeah, I know sometimes we tiptoe around him and thinking that we can't say certain things to him and that we're going to hurt God's feelings. But God is not like us. He is not concerned with us and our fragility. He is a strong God. He is omnipotent God. And so he's not so fragile that you can't say what you feel. In fact, if you want to be completely honest, he's omniscient so he already knows. He knows that you have doubts. Admit it to him. And if you admit it to him, then God God can handle that. Admit your doubts. When, in, in our session, too, and um, he talked about um, another guy taught, and he told this story. Man, it was so, such, such a blessing. Uh, he talked about, man, there was a guy in, in, who was at the mall, and he, um, he, he, he heard God say to him, after he had just prayed, God, I want you to do something powerfully through me. And, um, and so he's at the mall, and he spots this guy, and this guy As he's looking at him, he hears God say, go tell this man that God loves him. So the dude's like, I ain't doing that. Like, that's kind of weird. Um... No, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so uh, a little bit later in the mall, he's at another store. And behold, oh, here comes the guy again. And God speaks to him and says, go tell that man that God loves you. He's like, man, that's crazy. Like, I'm not crazy. Just walk up to some random stranger and say God loves you. And so, uh, so he, he disregarded again. They go to another place in the mall, a pretty big mall, and, uh, and he sees the guy again. It's like he's stalking the dude and hears God say, go, go, go tell this guy that God loves him. And um, and he just doesn't do it again. He just brushes it off, and he's not going to do it. Finally, he leaves the store, and he sees the man again kind of just sitting in one of the chairs in the middle of the mall, and he walks over to him, and he says, um, <coughs> excuse me, I know this is weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you? And the guy just burst into tears. And he's like, man, I, I, I was wrestling with whether or not God was there for me, that he loved me. But since I've been in this mall, three people have walked up to me and told me that God loves me. The guy prayed God do something through me, but the gentleman that God had him do something to, I speak to, was wrestling with his doubt the man admitted it, and God answered him. Now, I'm not saying that if you admit your doubts, that God's going to send a random stranger to tell you, hey, believe. I'm not saying that's going to be the case. Don't say, listen, uh, Pastor said, it, I, I mean, it's been two days. God ain't said nothing. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But what I will tell you is that God can handle it. Admit your doubts. It's okay. It's good discipleship to admit your doubts. The second thing is this. Um, act on your faith not your doubt. Right. What happens is this, is that usually in times when we are experiencing doubt, we do things to chase down and to grow our doubts. That's why I said earlier, feed your faith, because whatever you feed grows. Don't feed your doubts. Act on your faith, not your doubts. Usually we chase things down trying to disprove him. But how about flipping it on its head, chase down the things yeah. That can make you certain of him. These imperfect people that we read about in scripture, this is what they did. Can I I let them testify for a moment? Um, Noah built his ark in sunshine. Yeah. um, Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. Um, Joshua walked around the wall of Jericho in silence. Moses stood boldly before the Lord and Moses stood boldly before the Red Sea or David did when he faced Goliath Um, Daniel did so in the lions den, and Shadrach Meshach and Abednego did so refusing to bow before King Nebuchadnezzar and went into the fiery furnace what they did is they did not know in fact here's what Shadrach Meshach and Abednego said to King Nebuchadnezzar oh king we will not bow down to your graven image because the God that we serve we deliver us, protect us out. There was a caveat there. They say this, but even if he does not, act on your faith and not your doubt. And then the last thing is this. Well, second to the last one. Um, (laughs) Go back to what you know is true. Go back to what you know is true. One of the things the enemy capitalizes on Is our memory loss. We forget what God's been doing. Like God hasn't shown up for you before. Like he hasn't spoken to you before. Like you don't remember. What I love about new Christians, love new Christians, because they have no other point of reference than the reality of when they met Jesus. And there's nothing you can say to deter them, nothing you can do to shake them. They know what they know, and they stand on that. And that alone would I hate, not hate, what I I struggle with, with some of us stale Christians. is we forget. (laughs) We forget, like, he hasn't answered prayers before. Like he hasn't shown up when you needed him to. Like, he hasn't been there. Go back to what you know to be true. And when the enemy speaks to you, those moments of doubt, say, now listen, it may not be right now, but I know the God that I serve, and he's been there for me in my past. And then lastly, this. This is my last point. I'm serious this time. Go all in. Go all in. What happens is this. When we experience doubt, Oftentimes what we do, not even when we experience doubt, just when we want to grow spiritually and get closer to God. So many of us spend our energy, our spiritual energy, afraid to step off the cliff. And so we'll only give so much. I'll come to church on Sundays, and then next week, God, I'll talk to you on the next Sunday. Um, God, I'll, I'll pray this one time, and then if you don't do something this one time, then maybe you're not there. God, you didn't show up this time, so what's the point of me continuing on? There's a greater chance of you growing in your faith and fighting your doubt if you refuse to go based upon what you feel and you simply dive all the way in. So rather than letting and meeting God week to week, how about you meet God daily? And develop some devotional practices where you wake up in the morning and you pray and you spend time with God before the before the world begins. And in the still and the calm of the day, and you and you read scripture and you pray and you spend time and you ask God to speak to you rather than waiting for something wrong to happen when doubt arises at the best. How about you praise God? And you spend time with God when things are well. Because what happens with the enemy is this, he waits until things are wrong, and then when things are wrong, that's when we question. But for those of us, if you're here and things are well for you, but you know you wrestle with doubt, don't wait for the next bad moment in your life to try to kick things up a notch. How about you store some stuff away so that you have a point of reference when storms come and when issues come to know that God is there for you. Go all the way in. Give him all of you. But I know how it is. We we, we get there, and part of the struggle is us wondering, what does God think about me? Well, he answers that in his conversation with the people before John. So listen to this. Just, Just listen for a moment to what he says. In this moment to John, to the people who were there. Uh, he says this, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. He's talking about John. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, listen to what Jesus says about John. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I bring that point up to let you know this. If you are here and you are wrestling with doubt, and if you are concerned about what you believe about Jesus, it's okay. What you don't have to worry about is what Jesus believes about you. Because as he is speaking about John the Baptist, who is currently wrestling with his doubts about Jesus, Jesus says, it doesn't matter to me about John's issue right now what I want you all to know is that I don't know anyone greater than Jesus than John. And Jesus is giving the, us that illustration to let us know that even in the points in our lives where we wrestle and we struggle with what we believe about him and is he real and is all these things true that we read about in scripture according to this message that we've heard from Jesus that has nothing to do with you and his relationship. Because How Jesus feels about you is not predicated on how you feel about him. That's what we just got through singing. Thank you for being God. You loved me when no one else would. And you kept me when no one else could. He's God. And he doesn't need you to be God. But just know that for you, he is God. And he'll remain that. Is that a bad thing? No. But I don't know many things that could bring us closer to him than wrestling with the realities as to whether or not he's here. And I promise you, if you if you chase that, if you chase your doubts, you'll distance yourself. But if you chase his existence, you chase your faith, if you Feed that, he'll get closer to you. And he'll be there for you. Amen? So, before we get up um, and receive communion as we do weekly, um, we're going to have some counselors. There's going to be some here at the corners of the stage and a couple others at the door. Um, You may be here and, and doubt may be your issue, you may wrestle with doubt. Or, or maybe you have been and you've yet to make a decision for Christ on your own. So here's here's what I want to offer you. If you're here and you've been wrestling with doubt, um, they'll be there. Thank you. They'll be there for prayer for you. But also, perhaps you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe something in you today wants to make that decision. You can see. Any of these? Raise your hands, guys, for me. Any of these counselors? Uh, There's Matt, George, there. There's Erin and Catherine hugging over there. Um, You can see any of them, and they'll be there to pray with you and to receive you. And um, I encourage you to do so before you leave here today. Uh, For whatever reason you feel the need to do so, please, uh, please see them uh, during this time of prayer and communion. Um, let, Let us pray and of course you know how we do it here if you're a guest this is what we do we basically uh, we collide at the table uh, directly in front of me to your rear uh, and there we receive the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was shed a testament to the work that he did on Calvary's cross for our salvation and uh, let us meet there as, as one let's pray God thank you Again, just for being God and God all by yourself thank you Lord for the sacrifice that you made for us that didn't require our belief but Lord you did it because that's just who you are that's how good you are now help God someone in here today who is wrestling with doubt God, I pray that you strengthen them, that they develop a desire to grow closer to you. Or for that person who wants to give their life to you. God, may they find boldness because we know it can only come through your Holy Spirit that they make that step toward you today. God, this is our prayer. We love you. This is your name that we do pray. Amen. Amen, man. Will you come now at the table?